Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Very familiar verses to, to some people. A couple of Monday, or Wednesday, start over again. A couple of Sundays ago, I did a special message on not being weary and well-doing. And this was a verse that I had in there, part of it. But this has just been speaking to me lately. And I've, some things I've turned to have opened my eyes to see aspects of this verse, these verses, which, again, are well-known verses. I'm going to read through them. We're just going to go through them. I don't need notes, so we're just going to do what I used to do. Just go through and let Spirit of God guide us. Verse 28. Come to me, all ye that are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle... That word is meek in some translations, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, we learned in studying the renewing the mind, and most of you were aware of it already, that there's three parts to you, the Bible teaches. You are a, there's your spirit, your soul, and your body. Your spirit is what you are. That's your real nature. That's the part of you that lives forever, or one part of you that lives forever. It's what makes you who you are. When you come to Christ, that's the part of you that's born again. And you're, literally your old nature is taken out and a new nature is birthed in you. That's why it's a new birth. That's why you're born again. And that nature changes you into a child of God. You become a child of God because God literally births his seed in you just as he did in Mary back when the angel Gabriel appeared to her and said, you found favor with God. You're going to carry the child, you're going to carry the child of God in your womb. And she says, how can that be since I've never been married? I've never known a man. I'm a virgin. And he said, because the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you and he's going to conceive in you. You understand that's what happened when you were born again. You understand that's how you were born again. Because you may have looked at what you were like and seen well, some preacher or some tape or CD you heard said, you know, God wants to change your life and turn you around. And you may have said, how can that be? That's just what Mary said. How can I ever change? How can anything good ever come out of me? And the answer was not, God didn't say to her, well, I'm going to give you the ability to do it. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you, and He's going to conceive in you the life of God. And when you came to Christ, that's exactly what happened to you. The Spirit of the Lord came upon you, and He conceived in you the life of God. That's how you became a child of God. You are just as literally His child in your spirit as your physical body is literally the child of your parents. Same process, except it's a spiritual process, not a physical process. And so that's the part of you that's your spirit. Then, of course, your spirit lives in your body. That's the part that we're most familiar with, spent the most time dealing with, cleaning up, dressing up, taking care of, feeding, dieting, you know, exercising, doing all the things we need to do with it. We spend so much time and attention on this body that we spend, that it is the focus of most of our attention, but, and that's what it shouldn't be. And then we learned that there's a third part of you called your soul, which is most quickly identified as your personality. It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now, I go through that because what Jesus is promising here is that if you'll do this, I'll give you rest for your souls. Now, we talked on Sunday a few weeks ago. I explained to you that there are different types of weariness. There's different types of tiredness. And therefore, there's a different type of rest for each type of tiredness. So if it's a physical tiredness, the only thing that's going to do that is physical rest. And there were times Jesus pulled aside and he rested. We live in a world that doesn't know what that word means. That, you know, we're driven by the next obligation, you know, and somehow, and we feed into it. Because, you know, somehow when we look at our calendar, and now we've got electronic calendars, and look at our calendar and I see a week that's just filled with things to do. Somehow I feel like I'm important or valuable when many of those things not be, maybe not adding value to God's kingdom at all. So it's what's valuable to Him, not what makes me feel valuable or what other people feel valuable. So there's a physical rest. There's a spiritual rest. But there's also a rest of the soul. And that's, notice what He says here. And I will give you rest of the soul. But let's go to verse 28. So He's talking about us when we're weary and heavy laden. Heavy laden means burdened down. And you can be burdened down with all kinds of things. He was specifically talking here about religious obligations 
And there are many of us out there that are burdened with religious obligations. And it may not be any that this church imposes on you. That may come from your background that the church you were raised in may have put all kinds of burdens on you. Well, you've got to wear your hair a certain way or you can't wear your hair a certain way. You've got to wear no makeup. You can't wear any... You've got to wear this kind. You're, you're, you know, you've got to do this. You've got to be in church every time. You've got to pray this much a day. And you pick up books and you begin to get that mentality. And even books talking about God's grace and love, you end up feeling more burdened, more weighed down, more more defeated, more discouraged because you just, it's like somebody's piled more obligations on you and more obligations on you and more obligations on you to the point that just either throw it off and chuck it all or I'm never going to be able to stand up. That's heavy laden. That's what was happening in Jesus' day. The religious people took Ten Commandments and eventually turned them into over 600 rules of what they couldn't, couldn't do that they had to follow religiously to the point that they had to clean their cup. And that's a good idea to clean your cup. It's a good idea to wash your dishes. But there was not just washing it for hygienic purposes, for health purposes. There was a way they had to wash it for a ceremonial purpose so that the cup was, that you were going to drink your coffee out of, well, they didn't drink coffee, but your tea or whatever it is they drank, wine, that was going to be ceremonial, cleanly clean. They got upset at Jesus because he didn't do that. They got so upset at Jesus because he healed on the wrong day. That's the spirit of a Pharisee. When, the, when, when everything has to be done just right according to the letter and they miss the spirit of what's being done. People were being healed, set free and delivered and they were more concerned about following all the rules than they were what effect that was having on people's lives. That's a pharisaical, Pharisee spirit, attitude. And it's, it's religious and it's just as much alive in the world today in churches as it was back then. It lays burdens on you, and some of you are still carrying around those burdens, which you're carrying around from your childhood, or from your parents, or from your, even yourself. One of the signs you're weary and burdened is this sense, I, 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 can't, I don't pray enough, and you may need to pray more, but it's carrying around this weight that I don't pray enough, I don't fast enough, I don't give enough, I don't witness enough. I don't. Let me ask you a question. What's enough? How do you know when you get to enough? I've heard such people as Brother Hagin say they have the same thoughts. I don't pray enough. I don't fast enough. I don't witness enough. Because it's all focused on what you're doing, whether it's an, you're enough or not. And when your focus is on you, whether you're enough or not, you will wear yourself out. And the devil doesn't have to help. You can just do it to yourself. And you can tell because your Bible starts getting heavier. It's harder to pick up. You don't want to hold it as long. Because it's not giving life. When I was first saved, before I was saved, I was trying to find God. So I was dusted this old Bible out I had. or I don't remember what I was using then. I may have bought something in the bookstore. And I was going through it trying to understand it. Now, you know, I may not be the, the, the brightest light bulb in the, in the box, but, I, but I, you know, I, I did have a doctorate degree in law. I, I had some education. I had the ability to understand parts of the Internal Revenue Code, but I couldn't understand this book. I mean, I could get the words, but it's, it's like it was work to read it. Literally, the next day after I received Christ, I couldn't put it down. Somebody snuck in the corner covers of the book and put a different book in there. It was exciting. It was alive. I would come home and, you know, we'd have dinner, get the kids done their homework, get them in bed, you know, and kiss my wife goodnight. She'd go to bed. She likes to go to bed early. And I couldn't wait to get everybody in bed because I couldn't wait to get into my Bible and open it up. And I'd get going in and the next thing I know, I'd look at it. It's one o'clock in the morning and I'm like, goodness, I've got to be in court tomorrow. I've got to make myself close the Bible. When was the last time you did that? The Bible hasn't changed. It's still words of life. Somehow, something's wearing you down. Something's getting weary. Prayer. It's one of the things we're going to talk about as we get into the fall. Prayer. Are you excited when we have a prayer meeting? I can tell where we are by the attendance. I'm not judging anybody, criticizing anybody. I'm talking to all of us tonight. I'm talking to me. Why? 
understand what prayer is? Prayer is you talking one-on-one to the creator of the universe who knows everything, can do anything, and wants to do it on your behalf and tell you on your behalf. And we walk around carrying burdens of life. I don't know what we're going to do about this. I don't know how this bill is going to get paid. I don't know where we're going to find a job. I don't know where I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to do that. And waiting here on Tuesday nights is Almighty God, Almighty God, all-knowing God, who you are His child, And he wants to take what he knows and what he can do and share it with you and do it for you. But we're so busy running around trying to solve the problems, we don't come to the one that has the answers and the provision for us. Why? Because our experience of prayer is it's an obligation that we fulfill. And after all, I mean, did you do it for an hour? How could you do it for an hour? because it's dry to us. It's lost or we've never found the joy and the excitement of being in his presence. And the Bible says about him, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. Not just a little, you know, goosebump and tickle. You know, that was good. Fullness of joy. Let me ask you a question. And again, I'm preaching to me like you. When you're weary, when you're tired, I'm not talking about physical tired, you're just tired, either spiritually or emotionally tired. What do you turn to for rest? Where do you go for rest? Is it you turn the TV on or you go to the icebox or you go to the mall with your plastic cards? Where do you go? What do you turn to to give some kind of rest for your soul? Because the devil, through the opportunities of the world, will provide you all kinds of things that are advertised to give you rest. But it's like the bait on a fish hook because it promises to give you rest, but in reality it ensnares you. I mentioned Sunday about along these lines that we've got a major industry that makes billions of dollars a year by promising to satisfy your thirst when you're hot and thirsty. And yet they fill it with sugars and sweets or artificial sweeteners, so somehow we feel better about it. Fill it with chemicals and things that are sweet so that when we drink it, instead of satisfying it, we want more because that's how they make their money not by satisfying your thirst, but by having you want more and more and more. There's a whole thing now that's come out, which is not shocking, is that the cigarette industry has intentionally put chemicals in cigarettes to addict you. Why? Because if you're addicted, you have to buy more and more and more. But understand that addiction isn't just cigarettes and alcohol and drugs. There are legal addictions. Food, shopping, spending more than you can afford, even if you can afford it. The question, getting quiet in here. The question is, why am I doing it? Nothing wrong with shopping, ladies. Don't look at me like that. There's nothing wrong with having a Coke or Pepsi if you want every once in a while. I'm not talking about that. We're not talking about going to legalism on the other side. We're talking about why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? Where are you going for your rest? What are you looking for for your break, your refreshing? Let's look at what Jesus says, because the Bible gives an answer. There's the answer the world offers. There's the answer Satan offers you. There's the answer your parents trained you to go to. There's the answer that you come up with yourself. Then there's Jesus' answer. For you that are weary and heavy laden, his answers come to me. It was interesting we sang tonight about him, about turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world, the burdens of this world, 
the pressures of this world, the weariness of this world, will grow strangely faint in the light of his glory and grace. Jesus' answer when you're weary is to do the one thing that our instinct is not to do, and that's to come to him. The only time we have an instinct to come to him is when we've run out of everything else. We've got our tail caught in a crack, as Pastor Sam used to say. I mean, we're really caught between a rock and a hard place, and when it gets really desperate, that's when nothing else we've tried has worked will finally turn to him. And yet he says, when you're weary, he's the place to go to. The reason we don't is because we don't know how... how, Why would we find rest in, in coming to him? Why would we find rest in coming to him? Most of the time it's because we think he's going to beat us up when we come. He's going to beat us with a stick because why did you do what you shouldn't have done? The reason you're tired is you haven't been in church enough. You haven't been praying enough. You haven't been, you haven't been doing enough. So why would we come to him? There's a book that's, oh, it's 1989 it was written called What's So Amazing by Grace by Philip Yancey. It's a very good book on grace. And he starts out by interviewing a girl that was a young girl, very young girl, teenage girl, I think, that was found on the streets of New York as a prostitute. She'd run away from home. And she didn't want to stay there. She didn't want to be doing what she's doing. She wanted to get out of it, and she didn't know how to get out of it. And he said, well, you know, if you're looking for help, why don't you go to church? She says, that's the last place I go to. I was raised in church. She said, ah, it's the last place I'm going to go because they're going to judge me. They're going to condemn me. They're going to beat me up. They're going to tell me what I know what I am. I want a way out. See, when we see God that way, instead of coming, the idea of coming to Jesus for rest. Another reason why we don't come to Him for rest is it doesn't make sense. Because we think the only way we're going to get rest is to solve all our problems and get somebody else. So what's our instinct? Is your instinct when you get weary like that to have to call people and find out from them what to do? Or get about 30 people out there praying for you? And there's nothing wrong with getting people to praying for you. There's nothing wrong with going talking to people and getting counsel. But isn't it interesting that's not what He said to do here? The first thing he said to do is come to me. You, personally, come to me. All you that are weary and heavy laden. All you that are laden down with burdens of life, the burdens of religion, the burdens of life, of, of, of whatever it is you're going through, and that are weary of the battle. Here's what you do. You come to me, personally. Come to me. Say, so how do we come to him? Prayer. Just talk to him. See, a lot of us were raised in churches where prayer had to be formal things. I was raised in a church where you had to read it out of a book because you weren't qualified to say it yourself. And, and, and they were, all were li- written in Elizabethan English. These and thous and those, you know. It's like God talks Elizabethan English. And so if you don't say, thou art my father, he doesn't understand what you're talking about. And that's religion. That's what so many was ingrained in us somehow. Some of you were raised in churches where basically the attitude was, you're not qualified to talk to God, you've got to go through a priest. A priest is, is ordained by God to represent you to God, but you can't go to God. That's completely unscriptural. Completely unscriptural. Completely unscriptural. We were all made priests unto God through Christ. You have direct, open access to Him 24 hours a day. The way's been paid for by the blood of Christ. Your qualification to come before a God for any reason whatsoever is not based on how good you've been, how bad you've been, how much you've prayed, how much you've not prayed, how faithful you've been to church, how unfaithful you've been to church. All those things will help you, but your right to come before Him is not based on any of those things. In fact, keep something here. We may get back here. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. I've clung to this verse at times. Now, this whole chapter is talking about rest. Isn't that interesting? Let's start at the beginning. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear lest any of you come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Talking about the Hebrews that did not enter into the promised land. But the word that they heard didn't profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who do believe have entered that rest. And He has said 
So I swore in my wrath that they will not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken of a certain place of the seventh day of this, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place they shall not enter my rest. So he's talking about entering a rest with God. Look at verse um, 9. Therefore, there, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. If you're a people of God, there's a rest that's for you. For he who has entered, he, that's you and me, who has entered his, that's God's rest, has himself ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us, the, the, the Bible teaches that we are to do good works, but our standing before God's not based on those good works. That's what will wear you out when you're doing the good works to make sure you're accepted before God. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest as any fall for according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of the soul and the spirit, the joints of the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. For there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom he must give an account. So God knows everything about you. Now to some people that bothers. To me it's reassuring. Because he's my hope. He's my help. I know that I don't know everything about myself. I don't entirely trust what I know about myself. In fact, one of the things I was talking to God about this morning is, Lord, I know there are things that I'm still fooling myself about. And so are you. But I want to know them. Show me. I don't want to fool myself. I want to know the truth. So it's assuring to me that I've got a God that knows more about me than I know. Why? Because I know that when I come to God with a part He may show me I don't want to see, He's going to free me of it, help me of it, heal me of it. Not judge me and condemn me for it. And I'll show that to you. Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Our confession of what? Of faith in Him that He is our Savior, our Lord. You understand that you have in heaven tonight a priest, a high priest representing you in the courtroom of God. He is your advocate. He is your intercessor representing you with all your failures and weaknesses and all your not enoughs. Representing you in the court of God before the Father of God. And He is holy. He is righteous. He is pure. He's never failed. Verse 15. Look at this. Oh, this is so good. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Now, in English, that's a double negative, which is a positive. In other words, we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, I've done this before for some of you, but I'll go through it again. One of the reasons, the Bible says in John chapter 1, Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. Chapter, verse 2 says, and He was with God. So it, before, the, before the creation of the earth, there was God the Father, and there was God the Son. Second person of the Godhead. Verse 14 says, and the Word, the second person of the Godhead, at one point in time, which we celebrate as Christmas, put on flesh and dwelt among us. The second person of the Godhead was the one that was conceived and raised and birthed out of Mary's womb. And God now wore flesh. One of the reasons He wore flesh is so that He could die in our place. Because we needed a substitute to die for us. And if Christ just stepped out of heaven as God and not man, He couldn't die. By the way, if you've read in Genesis 3 that once God confronted them for their sin, He kicked them out of paradise. It wasn't just a punishment because it says in the middle of paradise there was another tree yet. There were two trees He pointed out. One tree, don't touch. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the other tree was the tree of everlasting life eternal life. 
God had to, I asked them one day, well, God, why did you get them out before they, he said, so they wouldn't eat of that tree. Why did you get them out so they wouldn't eat of that tree? And then he said, because if they ate of that tree, then they couldn't have died. And if they couldn't have died, then I couldn't have died in their place and paid the price. They would have been eternally lost without being able to pay the price for sin because the price for sin is the shedding of blood. And if they couldn't die, they couldn't have shed blood and died. And I couldn't have therefore done it in their place. So God didn't kick them out because he was angry at them. He may have been angry, but that's not why he kicked them out. It was his grace protecting them and you and me so that he could redeem us out of that. So that's one reason he put on flesh, so that he could die in our place. But another reason is this verse, because it says we have somebody who can sympathize with us. That word sympathize means feel along with, understand what your struggles are like. Why? Because he was tempted in all ways as we are. Jesus was tempted? Absolutely. Luke chapter 3, I think it is, or 4. He was tempted head on by the devil. You've never been tempted by the devil, most likely directly. He uses his minions and his demons to tempt you. But Jesus had one-on-one because of who Jesus was. I mean, everything was at stake in that. And that wasn't the only time because it said it left him for a season. In other words, he was going to wait and try it again. We know he was there in the garden because if there was ever he was going to tempt him to not to do something, to disobey his father, it had to be in the garden. All the pressure of hell came against him in that garden. Isn't it interesting what Jesus did under all that pressure? What did Jesus do under all that pressure? Did he, did, did, did he go to the mall with his plastic? Did, 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 he, did he consult a bunch of people? No, he, actually he moved away from other people. What did he do? He came to his father when he was weary. In fact, sometimes when he was weary, he did what, the opposite of what looks like it would strengthen you, he stayed up all night praying to get strength. Now that doesn't compute in our brain because, wait a minute, if I stay up all night, the reason I'm going to go to, I'm tired is because I didn't sleep too well last night. So I may, I need, you know, to stay up all night, but see, it was a spiritual tiredness. And the answer to spiritual tiredness is spiritual communion with the source of life. Because understanding, if, if God is a source of life and you're spending time with life, that's just got to breathe life into you. But see, what happens at this point that we were back in Matthew 11 is when we're weary, our, all our training is what to do, and it's the opposite of what works. I mean, how well has it been working for you? <laughs> how well does eating overcome your tiredness and weariness? How well does TV do it? How well does, you know, shopping? How well do all the things we've learned to turn to do, how well, does, how is it, how well is it working? Maybe we ought to try what he said. Because what he said works. It's proven. Now let's go on. We're still in Hebrews. So we have a high priest. We have, you've got somebody in heaven right now representing your case, your weakness, your struggle before God the Father. Because God the Father cannot understand weakness. He understands it exists, but he can't empathize with it. He can't sympathize with it. He can't experience it because weakness and tiredness and weariness comes through this flesh. It comes through our humanity. And God the Father's never had that experience. How can you when nothing's hard? I mean, we usually say nothing's impossible with God. We've got to go, nothing's hard except dealing with you and me. Nothing's hard for him. When all you have to do is say, let there be, and a universe comes into existence, what can possibly be hard? So you've got God the Father on the throne wanting to, this is how much God loves you, wanting to be involved in what you're going through, but he can't relate to it. So he took his son at the right hand and sent him down here to come down and be one of us. 
not just to be among us, to be to be one of us. Not just to know what it's like to live on earth, but to know what it's like to go through temptation, to go through struggles, to be hungry. He was frustrated with his disciples. Jesus wasn't Casper Milk Toast. They just, oh, Patricia, how good are you today? It's so good to see you today. Oh, Phyllis, how are you today? I hope you're good. He may have been like that at times, but you know there was one point he went into church and took a cord made a cord out of it as a whip, and he drove them out of the temple. And they were people that had a right to be there, but their motives have gotten wrong. And he turned their tables over, and he had a fit in there. He never lost his temper, and he was mad not for himself, but for God. Jesus was a passionate person. He got frustrated with this. Oh, you have little faith! How could you doubt? I can't imagine. Oh, ye of little faith. (laughs) Passionate. And he took on flesh so that he could identify with the struggles that you and I go through. That's what qualifies him because a priest is a go-between. A priest is a go-between between God and people. And the qualifications, you can see them in Hebrews chapter 5, the qualifications is you a priest, a human priest, had to be a man, had to be a human being, so that he could understand what people were like, but he had to be chosen by God so that he could represent God to the people. Well, Jesus was the ultimate priest because he was God who became a man. So he could go to God, he can go to God tonight with your struggles, knowing not just about them, he knows what it's like. So he can plead your case with passion. He can plead your case with identification. Because he understands what that's like to deal with temptation. Oh, but there's an important difference. Look at the rest of that verse. Tempted as always we were, yet without sin. He went through the weariness. He went through the temptations. He dealt with the things you did. But where you and I gave in, he never gave in. That's why he's qualified to represent God to you. This is how much God loves you. This is what... see. Well, he loved me enough he died for you. Yes, he not only he died for you, but he did so much more. And I obviously don't mean to belittle that. But it wasn't just that he died for you. He cares about you after he died for you. He cares about you now and what you're going through. He cares about your weariness. He cares about your struggle. Why won't we come to him? when we're weary and frustrated and heavy laden? Why do we go to everything else? Because things in the world can't identify with you. And if you've got people around you that can identify with your struggles, they've gone through struggles, but they're not without sin. (laughs) So they can't get you out. That's like having your car stuck in the mud and you turn to somebody else with their car stuck in the mud to pull you out. Well, you'll have a lot in common because you can talk about how terrible it is to get stuck in the mud so you can have fellowship with each other, but it's not going to get you out. You need somebody with a tow truck who's not stuck in the mud to get you out. Now, look at this. This Verse 16. Because of that, verse 16, let us therefore, therefore means because of what he just said, because that's the high priest we have representing you tonight. Therefore, because of that, let us... Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help when everything's going well. No, that's not what it says, is it? In time of need. Say, I think we have this tendency to feel really confident coming to God when we know we've been doing everything right. Everything going, oh God, I love you, I worship you, it's so wonderful to be here with you. Yeah, because I've been, was in prayer Tuesday night. I read my Bible faithfully this week. You know, I've been giving my tithes. I've been doing things I know I'm supposed to do. So, yeah, I've got confidence before God. But what if you don't? What if you haven't? 
this verse says we're still to come boldly. We're, we're still to come boldly. Boldly! Boldly! I looked that word up in the Greek. It means openly and honestly and without reservation. Not creeping in, hiding behind something. It's what it says. To come openly and boldly to the throne of grace. Why? So that we might receive grace and help in time of need. Now go back to Matthew 11. Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. I, Jesus, will give you rest. But he goes on and gives us some instructions about how to do this. Now this sounds a little strange. Take my yoke upon you. Well, yoke was a burden. But wait a minute. I'm, I'm coming, Jesus, and I'm weary because I've been carrying this load around, and you're telling me you're going to give me a different one, another one? Ah, that's the issue. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me or of me. What is it he wants us to learn of him? Look at this. It's so important. For I am gentle or meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Here's another key point here of what wearies us. Back in the garden, and we've studied this on a number of occasions, what happened is in the beginning, they weren't conscious of themselves. All they were conscious of is God and how wonderful God is. They were so caught up in God, they weren't even aware of themselves to the point that they didn't realize they didn't have clothing on. Satan comes in, and his whole, game, his whole goal is to get them to become now aware of themselves, just like he did. We've studied that before. Up in heaven, when he went from being Lucifer to Satan, when he became lifted up in who he was by be, uh, noticing his beauty and slowly began to think he was the source of that instead of God. He became self-centered instead of God-centered. And ever since then, that's his main temptation. His main device is to get us self-centered and not God-centered, God-focused. And so what made Jesus different, the reason Satan couldn't get a hold of Jesus, listen carefully, is there was nothing to get a hold of. Back when I was, well, I was past being a kid. I was probably even into college. The football players used to wear loose jerseys. And then he discovered the problem was when they went to tackle you, if they couldn't tackle you, they just grabbed the jersey and hold on to the jersey. So they started tying the jerseys up. So they were skin tight, and then they just got smarter and made jerseys that were already tight. So there was nothing to get a hold of. And you and I, to whatever degree and whatever time, we're concerned about thinking about promoting, caring about, working on, focused on ourselves, that's, part of, that's me hanging out. And whatever of me's hanging out is something the devil can get a hold of. As I'm trying to go through his line, whatever's self-centered is an easy target for him to grab a hold of. That's why it said of Jesus at the end, Satan could find no place in him. Yep. Why? There was none of him to get a hold of because his agenda had nothing to do with him. I only do what my father tells me to do. I only say what my father... Why? Because he only came to do his father's will. And this sounds so contrary to us. It sounds like we're giving up so much. That's because we've been raised in this world over here that thinks like the world, like the devil, that everything's based around me. And the problem is the church has got this philosophy now. My rights, my this, my that, my this, my this, my blessings. And God has blessings, God wants you to do, but that's a byproduct of what we're supposed to be doing. Here's how the Apostle Paul thought of himself. I've been crucified with Christ. The I is me, my, mine, what I want, my rights. They got in front of me in line. That guy cut me off. Notice, you ought to go through your day and just count every time you use the first pronoun. I, me, mine. Ours, we, even the second. And about the time you think you got it conquered, 
Somebody gives you a look when you're tired. <laughs> Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, because I've been, I, me, what I want has been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ now living in me. We want to be more like Christ. We want to know him better. But the only way you're going to know him better is for you to die. Because there's a primary principle of physics is two objects of matter cannot open this, operate, uh, cannot occupy the same place at the same time. You can't be filled up with God and you at the same time. And it's a process. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit. But He will only do that when you determine that's what you want to do. And so, this is, this is what Jesus is talking about. The rest comes from letting go of yourself. The rest comes from dying to yourself. I'm learning that when I find myself getting upset, I had something today I got upset about today. And I went, whoa, 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 John. If you're upset, that's because somewhere you're involved. There's a part of you that got offended. There's a part of you somebody didn't recognize. There's a part of you somebody opposed. Then that's the part of you who's supposed to die today. So here we bring it to the cross. Give up my right to be right. You know, I don't find anywhere in the Bible where it talks about in our personal relationships with each other, God commands us to be right. He does command us to love each other. He does talk to us about how we're to get along with each other. In fact, there's nowhere in the Bible that I know of where God says you have a right to be loved. He says He'll love you. He promises to love you. But nowhere where you have a right to stand up and say, I'm not being loved. But there are all kinds of commandments that we are to give that love away. See, God's focus is outward. <laughs> Satan tries to get our focus inward. So the point here is, the, what Jesus wants us to learn by coming to Him is His humility. And his humility means he's not concerned about what happens to him. And the, the marriage seminar we had in, in the early part of the summer, great teaching about humility, talking about hum, humble means you're not the, 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 the party's not about you. You know, if you go to a wedding, people stand in line to greet the bride and the groom. People bring presents to the bride and the groom. You know, they stand up when the bride walks in the room and the groom walks in the room. That's honor. But they don't stand up when you walk in the room. They don't stand in line to give you presence. Why? Because you're not the center of attention for that day. You went on to teach, but do you realize everywhere Jesus went, he was the bride? Everywhere he went, he was entitled to have people stand up and honor him because he created them. Everywhere he went, he was God. He had the right to everybody to bow down to him every place he went. And yet one of the last things he did, John 13, with his own team that didn't get it. They were in a room, rented room. There was no slave, no servant to wash their feet. So the landlord left a pitcher and a bowl, some water and a towel for somebody to do it. And they were too spiritual to even wash their own feet. Because I suppose if they washed their own feet, they might have felt obligated to wash their neighbor's foot. So nobody washed their feet. At the end of the meal, Jesus gets up. And probably while they were talking, every eye is watching him go around the table. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? And he gets over by that bowl and he takes his outer garment off and he takes the towel and wraps it around him, pours the water in the basin, and he goes down and he needs to kneel in front of each one wash their feet. The man that had the right to walk into Caesar's palace, not the one in Las Vegas, the one in Rome, to walk into Caesar's palace, had the right to walk in there and demand that they bow before him and wash his feet because he created them. Caesar was only on the throne because he gave him permission to be there. He made that clear to Pilate when Pilate said, don't you know I have the right to, put, to free you or put your death? 
No, no, you don't have any right my father hasn't given you. But he didn't do that, did he? And then he stood up after he washed all their feet and he said to them, you know what I've just done? You call me master and Lord, and I am. If I, master and Lord, have done this for you, you need to do this for one another. Not necessarily wash each other's feet, but serve the humility to have been the creator of the universe and to get on your knees, wash their dirty feet. But that was preparing for a greater act of service he was about to perform. Where he wasn't just going to get on his knees, he was going to be down in the dirt with his blood in the dirt. Humiliated publicly, beaten, painful, spit upon, beard plucked, ultimately nailed on a cross and hung up there, dying for the very soldiers that drove the nails in his hands and his feet. Not the slightest ounce of, do you know what I could do? Do you know who I am? He was at perfect rest through utter turmoil. So much at rest when they tried to throw him off a cliff, they couldn't do it. He just walked through them. No matter what went on around him or at him or for him, even with his own team, he was always at rest. Why? Because it was never about him. He had died to who he was. He did that, first of all, in the great temptation. And you know when he died on the cross? It wasn't on the cross. He died to himself in the garden. Father, not my will. Is there any way? Is there any way? Is there any way that this cup can pass before me? Is there any way? Somewhere inside he knew. All right. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Imagine the pressure spiritual pressure on him at that moment to get him to give in. He knows what pressure is like. He knows what weariness is like. Come unto him. Come unto him. All you that are weary and heavy laden. And he'll give you rest. The rest he'll give you is to learn what he's like. To learn of him. As you draw near to him, you'll learn of him. You'll learn his ways. You'll learn the way he thinks. He doesn't think about situations the way the world thinks about them. He's not thinking about his rights. He's not thinking about... He's, thinking, he's not thinking politically. He's thinking people-wise, not pe- political-wise. I'm convinced that a lot of the issues that we think are so important to him are not the issues that are important to him. The things that are important to him we miss because we're looking at the bigger picture. He cares about individual people individual souls, individual lives, and he cares about yours. Let's pray. Father, right now we come to you, and I don't know where everybody in the room is right now, but I have to believe that if you've led me to do a message like this, there are people in here right now that are weary and that are heavy laden. In the quietness of our heart right now, Father, help us to identify that thing, the biggest thing that is wearing us down right now. Maybe a pressure about a child or a job. Maybe about a relative, a parent. Maybe about a situation at work. It may be about a marriage. It may be whatever it is, Lord. Help us to identify right now that biggest thing that's weighing on us the most. right now, Father, we're going to give it to you. Your word says to roll our cares over on you because you care for us. In the quietness of our heart right now, we're going to roll that care over on you. It's now yours. It belongs to you. It has your stamp on it. You own it now. We don't. With your grace, we're not going to pick it up again. But now beyond that, Jesus, we want to come to you 
right now bring to you our weariness. Some are weary of the battle. Some are just, you know, I don't know that I can go on. I've been fighting this for years and the devil's very good at telling us how long the fight's been going on. Very good at telling you you can't go on any longer. But our eyes aren't on him tonight. Our eyes are on you. Lord, I notice in here you don't tell us that our rest is in solving the problem. Our rest is in coming to you. As we come to you, we recognize you know what we're dealing with. You know it even better than we do. You also know the answer. You know the outcome. Jesus, we come to you for rest. We're tired of carrying this around. We're tired of defending ourselves, protecting ourselves, promoting ourselves. We're tired of anything about us. We want to let it go tonight. We want to begin to learn of you, how you handle things, your meekness, your gentleness, your way of thinking about situations. Show us the things that concern you and help us to realize the things we get upset about that aren't so important to you. Help us to learn to look at things in terms of what's important to you and not what's important to us. Lord, as we prepare to close, we recognize that that's not something we can really do on our own. But it's going to take the work of the Holy Spirit. But tonight we begin a new journey, a new way. We ask you to release the power of your Spirit into our lives, to rest, to come to you, to draw near to you, to hear your voice calling us to the throne of grace to receive help in need, in time of need the sown of mercy by a merciful high priest Jesus thank you for loving us so much that you took on flesh so that you could understand what we're dealing with you could understand our temptations and yet you're strong enough to have never given in thank you Lord as we come near to you tonight